Hi, everybody. We'll let the room fill up a little bit. Hi, Tara. How are you? Congratulations. Hi. Hi. We'll let the room fill up and then I'll say what's going on. That sounds good. It's good to see you and hear you. Thank you. Same to you. Well, I've been hearing you a lot. I've been listening to your show. So oh, I, oh, I no. Oh, <laughs> gosh. You must be so bored. No. Yeah. <laughs> I I hope I wasn't too too uh too boring there. There you have it though. What are you gonna do? I'm having a little trouble hearing. Can you are you uh I can hear you fine. Oh, okay, I actually cool. have there the daily go. mail in my um in my telegram messages. That's why I was late. Daily mail asking me to comment on give me give them a comment for their article that that's really cool no um, what's the article <laughs> it's the or is it a hit piece it's a, yeah it's a hit piece <laughs> oh on who probably me i was like i'm not <laughs> yeah oh yeah yeah well it's it's always fun to get you know to get one in there though you know sometimes that takes the you know it's it's hard to know like when to just allow the hit piece to just go and like not say a word or just to like add your own little tone in there. and they might add a sentence or two just to back well, off I, a bit I, but I, what yeah. i did was i like typed up, i like made sure i'm like keeping all the receipts from the chat because the, it's so ridiculous i'm like do you guys do any research at all at all <laughs> and they're like well i mean you put the you typed this on this day and i'm like the date of the article is 2022 like what are it's just the weirdest <laughs> convert like the weirdest exchanges i'm like you guys don't even like you don't even bother like you want me to do all the work for you and then you're going to write whatever the hell you want well they generally use you know chat gbt oh hey you know rada my oh rada rada's here my attorney and she wasn't feeling well so this is a big thing and tyler um i see you there i wanted to say thank you for moderating and I appreciate your follows and your comments. Yeah, I love you, Tara. I think you're the best. And uh, I'm really looking forward to having this conversation in person this time. Yay. Okay. Um, so, Rada, is there any way Is there any way to bring Rada up? Yes, um, I've, handed, I've okay. handed her the mic and I will follow Very her. Very cool. Follow her. And I, I see a longtime follower named Heidi. Thank you. Anybody, and I know anybody that is you want up here, totally welcome. I didn't. It's not locked. Oh, in. and it looks like um, we have a stalker. Um, it's called Stop Lying. Someone that I have blocked. And I think if I'm not correct, it's one of the Kranzenstein's extra handles. So, hey there. We I, see you. I removed it. <laughs> <laughs> they can listen we know to who the you are. They can listen to the recording afterwards they can they can listen after um yeah so i have some news but i'm gonna let rada if she's up to it um break the news about my case and then you can post that picture that i sent you so that people can see it if they want to see it i don't know how that works is it in the comments or something or how does it yeah um you want me to post it into the the the, the screen up top after Rada speaks, okay. yeah. So let's let right. Rada speak, and then, um, you know, while everyone's here, um, you know, we're starting to get it populated a bit. Um, uh, Igor Lapotinek said he would join too. I will message so him then. I'll go grab him. 
Yeah, and then he can he can speak as well. So that'd be nice to have him. There you have it. Um, so welcome I, to Rada. I, I, I may need to need your services at some point uh, in the yeah, future. I'm, so we definitely yes, have to connect. I, just told Tara, I was like, oh, do me next. Do me next. <laughs> Good. Uh, lovely to meet you, Tyler. Um, so I, I guess we've got the wonderful news that Tara has been given asylum by Russia. So that is official now. She's completely protected. And the way they make that decision is assess the information that we've provided them, which is the documentation, uh, the United Nations uh, application that we put forward on behalf of Tara, which showed that she'd been persecuted by the US government. So they've now uh, officially approved uh, Tara's asylum, so she is free to stay there as long as she requires, but does not re- does not need to relinquish her U.S. passport. So uh, all very good. And Tara, um, I mean, you're pretty excited about that, aren't you? Yes, 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 I am. And you know, I, again, I want to thank you. And they just put it up there, so there's the photo. It's released. Um, I am officially a Ruski. So um, to my Russian brothers and sisters, thank you for, for uh, <laughs> taking me in. Um, you know, I'll, I'll uh, bring a little Irish-American <laughs> fun to Moscow and Russia, hopefully. <laughs> so, now, Tara, can I ask you a question? Yeah. If, can you give us a little background on, on what led to this? Just There may be some people who don't haven't really heard everything that, that has been happening to you over the last little while, and I think it's good to give some background. I see some hearts down below uh, for my question here. Yeah, um, of course. I'll, I'll give some context. Um, so I was here in Moscow, Russia, um, on a I was coming to oversee the translation of my book and uh, I was here for vacation initially. And then um, it became clear that I was going to be, um, uh, there was going to be some sort of legal action taken against me. There was already a sealed indictment um, filed in 2020, which I, three years ago, but I still didn't know what it was. Nobody knew what it was. And then um, things went from there. Um, I got some messages from Americans um, former intelligence and people that I know that said, um, if you leave, you may be facing a red notice. You may be facing, which is a Interpol arrest warrant, um, or you may be facing jail when you get back. And, um, you know, I had gotten a lot of threats and things like that. And, uh, I made a call to Matt Gates because I was supposed to testify before Congress, the U S Congress against Joe Biden, um, around the first week of June. And I, so I was going back home and I was immediately going to go to DC and do that. And, um, when I talked to Matt, he knew I was in Russia and he basically said, you know, Tara, um, I know how these people operate and I'm concerned for your physical safety. And, um, he basically just was telling me, um, you know, it was very, it was very powerful coming from a U.S. congressman to tell a U.S. citizen that, that they're not safe. And that he couldn't protect me. So I took all the data points into consideration. It wasn't any one person. Um, it wasn't any one factoid. It was just like, because I didn't have enough information to make a decision in my mind. And I kept gathering more and more and more. And then um, I decided to, um, after that phone call, to, to stay um, and then recently I've gotten information that there was 100% 
Um, most likely I was going to be arrested in uh, Seattle, Washington, and that they would have made a media thing about it, but they were definitely going to take me into custody and the charges, you know, that I've heard different things. Um, I don't know what's in the sealed indictment, but it's been alluded to about the violation of the FAR Act, um, possible uh, conspiracy, wire fraud, other kinds of fraud. So anyway, adding up to a lot of years in prison. So scary stuff. Um, I'm still trying to find ways to get that that indictment unsealed. However, as many of you know from following the Julian Assange case, they can hold indictments for up to 20 years in the United States. And um, his was 10 years old when they finally acted on it. Uh, mine is only four years old or three years old. So um, they are convinced that I was a, a Russian agent. So, you know, one of the points that they made was, of course, that the media narrative was that, oh, well, this proves that. Well, no, it didn't. It just proved that I went to a country that basically gave me sanctuary. Um, and there's like only two or three left and Rada can speak to that. And I don't want to hold Rada too long because she's not feeling well. So if she wants to kind of talk to the legal part right now and then you know if she needs to leave i i understand so rada do you want to kind of step in yeah uh, so, sorry i was just in the chat window there um yes so i mean there were a number of reasons that you were advised to seek asylum in russia and i think going forward we're hoping to find out more information about the kind of actions that have been taken uh, under this sealed indictment, but I think there'll be more than that because, um, you know, you don't need a sealed indictment in order to persecute, to uh, charge someone when they return to the United States. So it's not just what's in the sealed indictment that concerns us. And um, so we, we're hoping to make some applications to find out more information. We're hoping to that we'll have some whistleblowers come forward as well because I think already... There's quite a lot of discourse within the FBI and authorities in the United States when they are, you know, being asked to persecute people, whether it's a political persecution or or one like Tara's in particular with uh, the sitting president um, seemingly being behind these actions. So really Tara's absolutely not safe at the moment to even travel on, on vacation to the United States. And we are also going to find out whether or not she's listed on Interpol. Hopefully in the next uh, two months uh, we'll get a response from them and that would indicate whether she would be able to travel to any other countries outside of Russia safely. So at the moment it's just a, a find more information game and try to fight anything that comes our way. Yeah, so I, I was wondering if people had questions, you know, for, for Rada before she has to. Well, I, I think it's, uh, for me, it's pretty scary to think that if somebody has allegations against the president, that they're going to, it doesn't matter which country, I mean, any country, that they're just going to immediately try and find a way. What I saw watching everything unfold over the years is, is, an attack on Tara's character was immediate. And um, then I saw, you know, a lot of uh, social media attacks against Tara. And um, really, to me, it was the death of the Me Too movement. And uh, so I guess the question would be, from a legal standpoint, um, is there a possibility 
considering that the there there could be possible um, legal um, charges against his son, Biden's son, Hunter Biden, uh, or uh, against Biden himself with the recent releases of information um, regarding Burisma and, and other uh, companies uh, in China. Do you think that there's a possibility that these things could go away for Tara? Should should that happen? Or do you think the danger increases? I think that if it happens that any of them are charged with these new crimes, it's not going to have much of an impact. If we look historically, if we look at, uh, for example, the information about Hillary Clinton and the emails and how she avoided prosecution and how so far the Bidens have managed to avoid prosecutions that definitely would have happened if the shoe was on the other foot, if if we're talking about Trump having... Uh, if there was evidence, the same evidence against Trump, of course he would be prosecuted. So I think we're looking at a partisan um, push in the in the DOJ with the weaponization, and this is the biggest issue. And I don't think that Biden being prosecuted or impeached will have any impact whatsoever on Tara's case. She has been targeted, and that targeting is not going to stop, perhaps until uh, after the next election. You would hope that it would change, but it's unlikely. I think we're seeing a pattern of abuse, and the abuse is obviously systemic within um, the the behind the scenes kind of system, the political overlap with the DOJ. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. And I don't think that Tara will be forgiven. Oh yeah. <laughs> and on that cheery note, <laughs> thank you, Rana. <laughs> Rana always like. But see, but this is what I mean because she had to go through, you know, me calling her up and going, "Are do you think I could maybe like wait a month and go back?" Or like <laughs> I kept like rationalizing it. Um, but no, no, yeah, I'm. I'm <laughs> she remembers those conversations because you know I have had I have a daughter. My daughter graduated um, two weeks ago with her master's degree. Um, you know, at top of her class and made the dean's list. And you know, I didn't get to go to the graduation, and she's having a wedding. I'm not going to be able to go to the wedding. So there's a lot of um, uh, frustration and sadness of not being able to go between the two countries like other people do, but it's how it is. Um, and uh, Rada has been an amazing champion and helping me stay focused and calm and move through this. And she does this for many other people and uh, including Chris Ems, which if you know his story, um, it was, it was really um, something what he had to go through and Rada was a hero there too, and has been for many people. So uh, much appreciation to her and, and definitely follow her account and um, give her organization a support. And um to um and as far as um i see some people that i know um i see um ben bear and i just wanted to say hi benjamin bear how are you i miss you i miss you how are you i miss you too ben bear i would give you a big hug if i saw you if i could yeah me too okay me too we had we had some great times um so i guess i my question was my question was gonna be does does this mean now that you have a passport that you can travel to Nicaragua? But I guess Rada had already answered that. No, the answer is no. No, no. Chris and I are grounded, Ben. You got to come see us. 
I, I gotta come visit again maybe <laughs> maybe next year we had we had way too much fun i still i need that that video of us doing karaoke <laughs> i mean that was oh you know i do have that i will send it to you um and then Shay actually Please do. and p- playing piano he's actually a beautiful singer and piano player and chris you know has an amazing voice i mean like you know, when at least when I do karaoke with you guys, it's not like Guantanamo level torture. It's like people who really know how to sing. So, <laughs> yeah, we 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 uh, we were the best best of the night. I but, think that was uh, that was a very talented group of people. To say <laughs> the least. Well, Rada is too, and we've got to bring her talents to Moscow. But I hope to see you again. Um, and I I know that you're. I'm sure. We will. Yeah, 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 and. Um, you know, there's a lot happening um, right now around uh, the Biden corruption and all of that. And I wanted to just say that it's it's really amazing how Hunter Biden has just been able to slide past with with, you know, very little, uh, very little even media about what he's facing. And yet and then here you have the, the you know, former president with 91, you know, indictments and then 19 people including many of his own attorneys are being indicted. It's stunning really um, to see this level of corruption. And then now uh, I wanted to ask the room. I just saw the Laura Loomer has, um, well, I've been seeing some of this floating around a little over the last couple of years, but she pieced together a story and then got some documents and a whistleblower, I think from the FBI that there's some, some real bad, I guess, no other word, fuckery going on with the FBI, um, Nazis in collusion and Ukraine. So what? <laughs> I hope it's okay if I say fuckery on space, but there's no other yeah. word to really describe how awful it is. <laughs> um, because the guy, Bones or whatever his name is, that Azov Nazi, I mean, yeah. he's done, he's, he's confessed to horrific crimes and I, I don't even want to repeat them because it like makes me sick to my stomach but I wanted to ask the room you know about that because that that really uh it's really amazing um all it, but it's still not hitting the mainstream uh news even though her reports were like got four million views I don't know weird how that isn't hitting the mainstream news isn't that weird how that yeah <laughs> amazing how that Actually, happens since, like, alternative yeah. media has we've been reporting on this for almost a decade like mm-hmm. these ties and so i mean i'm glad that someone with her visibility is is pulling it out piecing it all together and hoping that the rest of these older articles will serve as like more source material or more corroboration and get these get the other people because i know george lyson um the one that the vagabond uh podcast guy they've both been doing extensive research so maybe like seeing them all collaborate and i know tyler probably has something to say about it as well well yes i do (laughs) So um, it goes even further than that. Um, it's not just the a couple of lettered agencies that are involved. Um, from reading George's work and, and from some people who, who are uh, involved in tracking leaks and uh, whistleblowers, there, there is a connection also directly to the Democratic Party. Um, and that is through the Ukraine IT Army that was given information, um, hacking materials 
through John Brennan back in 2015. And after he went to Ukraine and, and gave them these hacking materials, WikiLeaks Vault 7 and 8 were released, which uh, detailed how they can use those hacking materials to make it look like a hack um, or any sort of digital footprint can look like from from anywhere. So you, you can frame whatever country you want to using those materials. Now, now most of these uh, materials... Uh, these hacking, jeez, um, uh, I, I guess you would say hacking tools, um, it's all been patched because it became public knowledge. And, you know, the, the digital companies make sure that they want to avoid being easily hacked because once it becomes mainstream that any hacker can use it, right? So, so they patched up the holes uh, for the most part. And uh, but but anyway, back to what it what it did, what Ukraine did is the the Democratic Party used them to um, go down uh, the route of trying to frame Russia for the 2016 election interference, which we know was was a farce anyway but but they were putting a digital footprint uh, to a number of documents that were russian and and then when you start looking at who was involved from ukraine you start seeing a connection to other things that happened um so you know if, if you want to look at uh, alexandra chalupa um if you if you google that you're going to see a lot of information there you're going to if you look up cozy bear and fancy bear uh they, they're claimed to be uh a Russian hacking group when in fact they're Ukraine and they were hired by the DNC to do the work that they did. So uh, my suggestion would be is uh, look at Laura Loomer's stuff, then go look at Georgia Eliasson's if you want to see an, an in-depth uh, breakdown of, of how it all fits together. Yeah, and that's good that you brought up George because he has done a really deep dive into this for years and years and is of course, you know, he lives in the region and um, I really understands the history. And of course, Igor Lepotinik, um, you know, his uh, documentary, Ukraine on Fire, is a really good um, uh, thing for, for the public to hear, you know, and especially because it got banned on YouTube for a while now. I think it's available, he has it available all over and on Rumble and whatnot. And it's gotten a lot of views, but someone was encouraging to even put it on Twitter and try to <laughs> try to do it that way as well. Um, but who knows? But like, you know, they, they can't so far we've been able to, you know, even though they try to silence and suppress the truth and us and our research, you know, they're really not able to the, the mainstream media and the Biden regime. Um, and I call it a regime because at this point, if you're going after your political opponents, in such a way that you're indicting them and you're eliminating them and you're suppressing free speech and media and then you're ch and you're witness tampering like they did with me i mean that's not you know that's not a democracy and it's a regime and and you know ben i was wondering because you know a lot about election um integrity what what is your view when you heard the news about what's going on in the u.s with all these indictments in terms of uh, Donald Trump? Yes, and just the January 6th people in general, how they've been, like, extending their sentences, you know, like, over and above. Well, I, 
Yeah, I think it's absolutely insane. You know, I mean, look at Enrico Tario, Enrique Tario, the the leader of the Proud Boys. I'm no fan of his by any means, but to be sentenced for 22 years for participation in what was as Max Blumenthal once described, a low IQ riot as opposed to an insurrection. <laughs> you know, he wasn't even there. Mm-hmm. And he also, I mean, he was a federal informant. So despite the fact <laughs> that he was a federal informant, um, and, you know, there were feds all over January 6th. I mean, I had left uh, D.C. a week before January 6th happened. Um, and everybody knew it was coming. Uh, you know, the actors ground knew it was coming the police knew it was coming the government mayor bowser uh you know a few like a day or a few days before it actually happened like to put out a note that said like oh you know we don't need more police don't worry about it um so i think uh there that there was like a certain subsection of people who um allowed it to happen through their legal powers the mayor's office um, the FBI, DC police, um, you know, the Proud Boys had been coming into DC for, uh, a few months prior to that. And there were actually like clashes between like Antifa and the Proud Boys on the streets. I, I had personally witnessed some of them. Um, and you know, they had, the Proud Boys had like literally like stabbed people. Um, so, (laughs) you know, their presence known in the city um you know i i had a friend i i haven't spoken to him in quite some time but uh you know he he was literally stabbed by a proud boy but he had a bulletproof vest on uh when that happened so he was fine but um you know if not you know was right in the chest so you know wow. it was it seems like it was very uh the january 6th was uh <laughs> You know, I don't want to sound conspiratorial, but it was an inside job. I mean, the truest sense of the word. Um, And I think it was done to sort of manufacture consent for uh, an increase in political oppression. Uh, And, you know, these sentences are ridiculous. And it's funny when you see, you know, the United States criticize other countries like Russia or even Nicaragua for, you know, like, quote unquote political oppression like you have um you have what's his name the the Nalvani guy in in Russia right now who's in prison and like this guy is a, a rabid Islamophobe who did political ads calling Islamic people cockroaches uh and saying that they should be basically exterminated um and you know here I mean at least you know Nicaragua had had put up a bunch of people who had like actually done a coup in 2018 or attempted coup in 2018 that lasted months roadblocks cops getting tortured you know like people disappearing you know being funded by oligarchs in the Catholic Church and USAID and then those all those people went to prison and then they gave them amnesty they let them out of prison but that doesn't happen in the US. United States. So I think the double standard is is very clear. I don't think the U.S. has any moral authority to to <laughs> to you know come after any country, especially Russia and Nicaragua, or um, you know to you know they, really they have their own political prisoners. Um, and so I definitely agree with your use of the term regime. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, that's how I've experienced it as well. 
and you know it's just you know and and that's why when i received my my passport you know and and i waited the process was really interesting and um you know i think it would be interesting if rada could kind of explain what it means like what asylum means like there are some people who really don't you know it just sounds uh, but but what it entails do you mind rada uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have people seeking asylum in the United States, and that just means protection from usually a state that has been uh, targeting them. So in, in the United States and Canada, we often provide safe haven to people who are escaping com- countries like Egypt or Saudi, um, who have you know, threatened to either kill or jail people for their political points of view, for um, certain elements of free speech, for being a dissident, for example. I mean, we saw that with Hashoggi, that he definitely needed asylum. He needed protection from um, the uh, state-sponsored persecution of him. So this is just the exact same thing, except in Russia, providing safe haven to an American instead of the other way around. I have a question for both of you. Um, How do you know when it's time to go? Because I don't feel safe, but I don't I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? How do you know when it's time to go? Yeah, that's 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 a good question. I mean, you really do have to analyze everything in detail because you don't want to put yourself in a situation where you almost create the risk so if if the the risk isn't substantial enough um you're not going to feel it so of course you can take some advice you can seek advice from a lawyer or uh, someone in the same situation uh, as as tara did as well um but i think it will come down to a feeling you're going to know exactly how at risk you feel at that time but you should also remember that sometimes those feelings can subside over time and if you really don't want to leave the country um, then it's something that you want to assess whether you can fight it or not yeah you know I, I have to say that that when I was here I mean I fell in love with Russia it's sort of like I don't know for me when I came here immediately I felt completely comfortable and home and you know and I think I saw Ben and and some other um expats like the third or fourth night I was I was here no 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 it was like the next week after I had decided after I'd given my press conference it, it was like a day or two after and it was so I felt so welcomed and felt so comfortable and you know so thank you Ben for your part in that too um, when you when you showed up, it was like a celebrity arriving for the first week. But you were only hanging out with like one person, and everyone was like, "Oh, did you hear Tara Reed's in town? Tara Reed's in town!" So everyone was so excited to see you. I remember the first night we were at an undisclosed location, and you know it was a fantastic, fantastic time. And I, I'm glad that you have such a strong network of people there. And it sounds like you you've been becoming more comfortable than you already were yeah i mean i just wish you were here but um but you know you just have to come visit but but what i have to say is that um yeah i mean it it was we even made the news right ben um because they put it in the british oh yeah (laughs) that was funny um tara reed enjoys her freedom and then and then like um blasted me for hanging out with a bunch of irish and brits (laughs) It was funny. Um, but but the point, you know, but really it was what it was 
that first uh, week, right after I gave the press conference, it was almost like you're on a high wire and then you fall off. So to answer your question, when I knew to go, when I knew to go, I was, there was little things happening and big things happening all at once. Right. Um, There were people telling me that I was in danger, that probably this was going to happen. There was the imminent, you know, probability of me being taken into custody um, for violation of sanctions because I accepted the plane ticket um, for the interview from channel one. Um, Although Rada, you know, explained um, quite eloquently that that is not a, you know, grounds for sanctions. Um, And I didn't, so that wouldn't have qualified. It wouldn't have held up, but you know, that was mentioned to me, but there were several other things. And you know, what I have to say is that I, I just um, took all the data points and like looked at everything. And then I went with my gut and my gut was telling me this isn't, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. And then when I had my chance to consult with attorneys, they confirmed what I was worried about when they assessed the information. <clears throat> and of course, by being granted asylum, you know, what happens here is the process is it goes up to special services, you know, to, to, you know, FSB and whatnot, but even, but they analyze it, but they also, I think, think Rada is this true they have to reach out to the home country and like you know try to get documents or try to get information is that true or I mean they don't have to they can do what they want so um whether they do or not that would come down to an individual country and I don't know whether you know whether Russia reached out or not I I would say unlikely especially at this point the FSB has never spoken to me um so I've never spoken to anyone officially um um, or unofficially about my case with with the FSB or anything. I only spoke to the people at the asylum office. They asked me one question. They asked me, you know, if I had visited the American embassy and I was like, no, <laughs> I won't be going there. Um, so that's like a bad idea. Um, so, and they laughed at that. And I, and so, um, because I had a, I had someone who was lovely enough to translate for me. So the process was pretty, uh, pretty direct. I mean, I had the sealed indictment. So they look for evidence when people claim asylum sometimes, and they say they're under threat from the state. Sometimes they have documents of like what happened. Like they feel like they were been followed. They feel like things have happened to them. Like their phones are being, you know, monitored, things like that, but they might not have all the documentation. In my case, there's a sealed indictment. In my case, you had John Kirby who gave two press conferences about me. (laughs) So they were like, yeah, you know. And then when John Kirby says it's safe to come home, you know it's not, right? It's obvious. When the the head of the NSA is saying everything's fine, (laughs) you're fine to come home. Yeah, it it, it wasn't fine. So, um, yeah, so, so, you know, I would say there's this person – who wrote a book, Gavin De Becker? It's called. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the book. Um, something about fear, but anyway, Gavin De Becker is the is the author, and he writes about how, as human beings, we've we've kind of moved away from trusting our gut. But it's like you know in your gut when it's time to go. Sometimes you rationalize yourself out of it, and I definitely was like rationalizing. Oh, it's called The Gift of Fear, The Gift of Fear by Gavin De Becker, and it's really good. Because it is a gift and it's something that biologically as humans, we have the ability to sense when we're in danger. I mean, it's survival, fight or flight, right? Not just anxiety or not just stress. It's, it's, it's a good thing to have that mechanism, right? And so I would say, you know, 
take the facts and then go with your gut because you know and and frankly emotionally i want to be with my family and friends and my pets of course but logically i know this was the right decision and then i wouldn't have been with them anyway right i would have gotten off that plane and walked into a cage and they would have held me in, in you know they would have held me in in probably solitary um and how I know that is because for violators of FARA and those kinds of things, they call it, um, uh, you know, they, they do that, you know, Maria Butina, who's a friend of mine, she's my sponsor. She's very special to me. She was on the TNT show that I do a couple of days ago. And she, her judge is the same judge that's indicting Trump. I mean, excuse me, not indicting Trump, the sentencing Trump. And it's going to be looking over his case. Wait, is that Judge Beryl Howell? No, is no, that it's, Judge it's, Beryl another, Howell? it's another judge. Um, and she oh, okay, and okay. she is going over the the January sixth case, and um, and and some of the election fraud, you know, claims that she claims he made or whatever. But like she, we, you were mentioning the January sixth people. There were thirty four defendants. Um, that were proposed by the prosecutor, she prosecuted, she sentenced, excuse me, 38 of them. So 38. So there you have it. Like she was going after him and she's very known to be very harsh. Maria described what she was like at her sentencing. She was like begging for mercy basically because she wasn't a spy. And, and there's a good article called um, Maria Butina, the spy who wasn't. If you can look, you can Google it and find it. And it, it lays out how she was not a spy. And um, she was, you know, but anyway, she was very targeted because she was part of the NRA and the Republican Party and, you know, thrown under the bus, basically, because um, she had been, you know, done some friendship dinners and, and done some things between Russia and the United States. And she talks about that in her book. And in fact, if you look at my Telegram channel, I'll put it up on Twitter. She has offered her book for free, and I have it online to share, so I can post it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, she's amazing. But that judge is now judging all these Americans in January 6th and using the maximum sentences and even above the sentencing guidelines beyond it. So it's really, it's really something. Tara, I know you're, you're, you're big into horses. Do you have any, you know, they have horses in Russia, I believe. Do you have any plans to get another horse? Um, I, I, no, I, not, no, not at the immediate future. Um, I'm living, you know, in a way that I couldn't do that. I'm still supporting my horse and he's still with the family. So I, I don't know. I haven't done that i just yeah i don't have any pets like i have um three cats that now my daughter's taking care of but i thought when i get russian citizenship i'll i might adopt an animal um but i don't have russian citizenship yet so i'll wait i just want to be a citizen before i make those kinds of commitments <laughs> so i'm not making commitments right now i'm just are you practicing your russian oh uh, da <laughs> yes i can help with that yes i'm trying oh thank you I help with that. <laughs> yeah uh, i actually have a question mm -hmm. it's a pleasure to meet you tara um my question is very simple um now that you obviously you've lived all your life in the united states and now you live in russia mm -hmm. any major culture mm -hmm. shocks 
that you've experienced? You know, it's been really strange. I haven't really experienced, I mean, other than, you know, the barrier of the language and, and wanting to learn language. So, right. but um, no, I, I've been very comfortable here. In fact, it reminds me very much of my childhood um, when I was, you know, younger, it was a much different time in the United States and I grew up rurally. I was, I'm from California in Monterey, but then our family moved to Wisconsin and, uh, yeah. So we had an acre garden. We lived on 80 acres. We had a big farm. My father worked, uh, he owned a business in town and then, um, later he went on to work for the Pentagon and whatnot, but, um, he was a defense contractor actually, but my parents were divorced by then. Um, so at this time, you know, in my childhood, it was a very innocent time, although, you know, America was still participating in a lot of imperialism at that time, you know, terrible things, but in America itself, the economy was still not the way it is now, not as dire. People weren't as desperate. There wasn't, you know, you know, we have 600,000 people homeless in the United States, so it's a very different world, but there was an innocence or something. I, I can't really put my finger on it, but what I feel when I'm walking around like in Gorky Park or walking anywhere in Moscow or like tonight, I was just lost actually for like the second time today somewhere in Moscow and I found my way back. But like, I didn't feel worried. I didn't feel scared. I didn't feel, you know, um, I didn't feel uh, panicked or anything like that. I just, I felt a little grouchy because I was hungry and that was about it. Um, it's very, people are very nice, very warm. It's very family oriented. It's, it's, uh, it's a big city. Moscow is, but yet there's, and it, it has that pace, but yet it's nothing like New York. It's like, so there's a calmness, there's a quietness almost, or just kind of people just going about their business I, I can't really describe it. People are moving fast, you know, because of the cities they do. But, like, I've been to Sochi. I've been to St. Petersburg. I really like Sochi. I'm sort of in love with Sochi. Um, and, you know, if I were to get a horse or something like Ben had asked earlier, it probably would be if I was able to live somewhere like that, um, you know, by the ocean. But, um, yeah, it's it's – um, what I would say is all the myths that we were fed in the United States are not true. And I was very good at kind of pushing through the propaganda. And my cousin is Russian as well. Um, I have a cousin that was married, married in Turkey and he's Russian. And, um, you know, I, I just didn't have those biases or, or, you know, just didn't believe them. But even there was even just a little bit that seeped through because I was, I was a little surprised and uh, it's very efficient here. The metro system is unbelievable and beautiful. And I know other people have talked about it, but it is really stunning. And uh, things are a little less expensive. Like it's a, it's a better cost of living. There's a huge, I think this is the main thing. And I, I've said this before publicly, and I want to really emphasize this. One of the things I think the government really doesn't want U.S. citizens to know is that in Russia, they have a thriving middle class. They have education, um, really good um, employment opportunities. I mean, you can go all the way through college and get a couple of master's degrees and then choose even a different career, right? But, but, but it's not prohibitive to get those degrees. 
you you have medical care, you have pensions, you have um, maternity leaves that are really generous. Um, it's very child focused. Uh, and so that leads to healthy, happy workers. It's a practical thing. And so when you have a big middle class, you know, you have a lot of a lot of um, stability and power, I think, in your nation. And so I would have to say, you know, that's that's uh, really one of the things that I have have been struck by. And I think that the United States government has been trying to hide it because they don't want people to know how great it is. But anyway, that's that's my opinion. Thank you for that. I, I didn't want to ask about propaganda. I just wanted to ask the question and hoping that you're going to say that the, all the propaganda that we've heard about Russia is not true. And thank you for saying that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not true. And, you know, I really, I mean, I really don't feel a huge culture shock. I just feel comfortable. I feel like I feel at home. So, in fact, I feel I feel safe. I feel respected. And I feel like I have dignity here. And it's really nice. Tara, I have a question. Um, are you um, pursuing any for? I, I've seen that you have like a, a show on TNT, and you got things going on. Um, how is that progressing? How how are you uh, going to be gainfully employed there? What what's next for you? Well, you know, I've I've been working for RT for a while, for a couple few years, um, doing op eds. I did. I had a small thing. So when I went through this, when I got when I was there and then it was like, Oh, okay, I'm staying. I immediately needed, of course, to, to have means. Um, yes, the TNT radio show I have going. Um, and you know, my podcast doesn't make my podcast that I have. Doesn't, it doesn't, it's the politics of survival every Friday that doesn't generate any income and YouTube demonetized me and wise app, um, was shut down on me. So like I've had like happen to me with other, you know, people have had that it speak out against the proxy war. I've had, I've been demonetized pretty well by the U S but, um, but as far as in terms of Russia, I was very fortunate that RT expanded my con contract. And in fact, yesterday I signed all the papers and I'm an RT correspondent now. And, um, you know, uh, Maria Butina was very, uh, helpful with me to reach out to RT and we had meetings and RT was very, wonderful to me and um margarita said something that was touched my heart margarita simeon she said um you know that they would never leave me and it it like literally brought tears to my eyes at the time because i was feeling really scared and alone and um i felt that was that was really a beautiful thing to say and also i can't imagine an american uh employer saying that so it was really cool so i've had um I feel like a lucky girl. I have employment and I have a place to live. I have safety and I have a really good attorney. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. I'm so glad that things are working out for you because, you know, well, you know, it's actually a, a tale where it's exemplary. You're showing people that it can be done even in the worst adversity and, and the worst things that can happen to you. Um, you know, you can come out the other side and shine. I'm going to open it up to some of the other people here on, on the speakers list. So let's go to Pete. He's had his hands up for a long time. 
Yeah, okay. Thank you, uh, Tara. Um, hello. Um, um, <laughs> um, nice to hear from you. Um, I, I have, I have a, a two, three questions for you. Um, um, one is, you know, um, like uh, Edward Snowden was kind of told, you know, when he um, uh, looked for asylum in Russia, you know, um, he he could he could do th he could do things, you know, but he could not talk politics, you know. Uh, I, I I must admit I uh, missed the first fifteen minutes, you know, of the space, so I don't know if you already kind of answered this or not. So um, excuse me if, if if this question has already been posed, but uh, I mean, have have you been advised, you know, uh, not to talk about politics? Um, or, or, or are you free to speak? Well, I'm a geopolitical analyst, so I talk about politics every day. <laughs> so I'm an author and a geopolitical analyst, and they know my work. Um, I mean, the Russian government obviously went through, you know, when during, you know, my background checks, I'm sure they must have, you know, seen my posts and my many interviews and my positions on things. I don't feel, in fact, I feel more free than I did in the United States actually more free and no one's told me anything about that now will i make a point of criticizing you know uh and making big critiques um i don't feel that's my role you know i'm here by the grace of you know the russian federation giving me safety and i'm a, I'm a guest in their country um i think that they'd be okay with me making suggestions probably but like really that's not my role here my role here as far as geopolitical analysis it's, it's like looking at 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 that in historical context. And um, I, I really stay focused on, you know, my expertise in my area. And, you know, I, my background came from working in the U.S. Congress, the U.S. Senate, and um, the state Senate. And then I, I have a law degree in international relations. And so I kind of more look at like big picture, broader issues. Um, and really my focus of my work has been to point out, you know, that the Russophobia is wrong, that the U.S. is on the wrong side of history in this proxy war, that they're supporting Nazis and um, and have been doing it for decades. And now the, the billions of dollars that are being sent to Ukraine are is, is money laundering, in my opinion. And that's, you know, that's that's what I really have my focus on. I feel like we're in the most dangerous moment in history and that every conversation should be talking about the fact that we are close to thermonuclear war because of the Biden regime and we have to find a way. And it's, well, I don't want to just put it all on the Biden regime and the, and the bureaucrats involved with the military industrial complex. It's also the Republicans too. It's a uniparty. And we need to, to, you know, make it clear that, this isn't a, a proper direction to go because, you know, and President Putin put it well in the Oliver Stone interview. Um, he said, if there was a nuclear war, no one would win. No one. And he's right. But you but you said you said, you know, I mean, you uh, you've come to, to love Russia. So my, my question is, you know, um, prior to, for example, uh, 2020, was was that something that that you were already considering? Were you already kind of into that? You know, were you um, um, looking into the history of that or, or is this something kind of new and, and, and it's, it's like a big discovery or not? Uh... Well, in, it's a good question, because what happened was in 2019, well, 2018, I had started writing a book called The Last Snow Tiger.
And that book will be coming out this year. But The Last Snow Tiger, was I was starting it, was about Russia and America. And I decided because of all the anti-Russia stuff I was seeing, I, did, I didn't like it. You know, being, again, this is going back to geopolitical analysis stuff. I, I didn't like what I was seeing. And I saw it as, as America just prepping to try to get a convenient enemy to build up arms and to money going into the defense contracts. Because that's what, you know, that's the purpose. It's money, right? Um, and... I so anyway in this book I was writing Russia as the hero and America's kind of the villain right I'd flipped the narrative and I'd been part of a writer's group so when I came out about the truth about Biden um, one of the things I said in an interview uh, in 2019 is I said if Biden were to be elected he will take us to a war with Russia now people ridiculed me for saying that people attacked me for saying that and of course, you know, I was dragged a bit, but um, here we are. So I would say that, yeah, I, I saw it coming. Um, I also, you know, I didn't, I had planned to, up until this all happened, I had planned to have like a life where I could go back and forth maybe um, because I was interested in going to Russia for the research of my book and just to go. And I love to travel anyway. But I had a vision of going back and forth, and, and that's uh, obviously not going to happen. That's not my destiny. So I'm here, and um, I actually feel in a way better because I'm not participating in a system that's trying to kill my brothers and sisters in Russia. So I feel better being here um, and being helping and, and, you know, bringing attention to the fact because I know, I know that someday soon everyone will realize that the U.S. Is, and NATO is on the wrong side of history right now. Yeah, thank you. I have a third point, but I'm going to let uh, Real go first because, I mean, uh, um, um, nobody likes waiting. So, Real, you go, and, and I'll put my hand back up. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Privet, Privet, Tara. Dobro vece. So, hey, I just, I just, um, you know, I was listening, I was listening is good to see you again. Great to, great to hear from you. Somebody's uh, mic is open. Somebody's mic's on, I think. James, can you please turn off your mic? Thanks. Bad. We got lots of mics open now. Anyway, you know, you were talking about that feeling that you get um, when you're walking through the, the cities in, in Russia. And that's a feeling that you get a lot actually in cities throughout Europe. I mean, you can go through these big cities in Europe that are beautiful cities um, and they're very, they feel very calm. There's a very interesting calm to them. And I think part of that is how old they are, right? How long they've been around and how long the culture has been around. But I, I also think that in America, there was a feeling like that before the Vietnam War. I think the Vietnam War allowed for a lot of anti-American propaganda and and the sense of national pride that people had, you know, throughout World War One and World War Two uh, was basically stripped away during those years, unfortunately. And we've never recovered. You know, the, the, the music business was born at that time and the music business has actually been built on you know, um, 
revolution music, you know, and all this stuff and, 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 you know, anti-American sentiment and everything. So I, I think that's a big part of it. And, uh, and I hope that someday those days that, that feeling of national pride um, will return to the United States. And if that, if that could happen, I think a lot of the things that are happening around the world, uh, especially now that we have a new perspective on, on uh, the damage that imperialism can, can uh, have on the world, I, th- I think it would be a good thing. Anyway, great to see you. Uh, thanks to the host co- and the co-host for allowing me to speak, and uh, and I'm I'm um, I'm happy uh, to hear that you're happy there. Oh, thank you, and it's nice to see you again. Yeah, I appreciate that, and we'll have to check out your music as well. Well, thank you so much. We'll continue just to go through the hands. So Guta and then Lancer and real, you feel free to stay on the speaker panel. You're not taking up space. So I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm going to jump off. I just wanted to, I, I saw that Tara was in. I wanted to stop in to say hello and, oh, uh, thanks. and just share a little. Thank you. Spasiba. Go ahead, Guta. Okay. Hi guys. Thank you. Hi Tara. Uh, I want to go a little back and uh, ask you, uh, like, as a woman, the experience of having been harassed and um, and on top of it after coming out and letting people know being completely attacked and discredited, right, which is often what happens with all of us that speak out. So would be nice to hear from your experience and how, you know, would other women that are in the same situation and they feel so threatened and they feel so cornered, they keep silence. And a lot of us, it's even worse, they don't even realize that it is what it's happening. So if it's not uh, something you don't want to talk about, I would like to hear your perspective and your experience on this as a woman well you know I, I had an experience myself of course but then I worked also in domestic violence as an advocate and I was an expert witness um, for you know uh, for domestic violence and in the courts and then I also um, even had to testify before uh, state legislatures to change laws about that. And, um, and that was successful in doing that. Uh, and, you know, what I would say is this, it's like rape, like what I experienced with Joe Biden, you know, looking back, it was, it was really, you know, it, it, it wasn't about sex. It, it was about power and control, right? That's what, that's what that is. Um, you know, and I was just, in front of him at that time. And, um, I was younger, I was 28, you know, and, and it was, you know, it was a very, uh, he was my boss and he was my father's age and I didn't expect it. There was not like a flirtation. There wasn't a connection. There wasn't, you know, it wasn't like we had some sort of rapport relationship. There was nothing. He was literally the Senator, my boss. It was very formal. And then, you know, and then he started acting kind of weird, but like, I just thought, okay, well, he's a little weird. So that's what it is. But, you know, there's another thing that I saw, I saw someone interviewed talking about Epstein and it struck me because I had the same feeling when I was alone with Biden. 
and and I, I don't want to sound dramatic, but but this is exactly true because it, that interview that I was listening to it, it that's happened to me. I was in the presence of evil. It's the only way I can describe it. I'd never known evil until that moment. And when I was that close to him and when he did what he did and then his reaction afterwards, which was very brutal, um, I, I, it's, it's nothing I've experienced since. And, you know, being, you know, targeted by the Biden, uh, you know, his political machine and the DNC then ramped up that evil again. So the trauma actually that I've been trying to heal from, because I was really traumatized between 2019 and now when I came forward, I thought I had the me too movement. I thought I had, I had thought I had times up. I thought I had protection. I thought I had legal protection. And I, I, you know, I wasn't just a random person. I had worked for the Senate and the Congress. I had worked for Leon Panetta. I had done public service. I had worked in nonprofits. I mean, I had given to my communities and given all my career. And then to be uh, treated the way I was treated, dragged. Um, I lost everything. I lost my housing. I lost money. I lost work. I lost, you name it. I mean, I lost it. And, uh, coming forward about Biden and it was tough. Um, and I knew it would be difficult to come forward publicly. I had not gone to the press initially. I went through protocol. I followed protocol and filed a report, which is, you know, sealed in the university of Delaware and he won't release it because he said it's against the public interest to release it. And he gets away with it and he's got away with everything. And, um, but you know, what really struck me, and I, I've said this before publicly, is that Joe Biden was my monster, right? He's a monster. But now he's become the world's monster. And, and it's been stunning to watch that. And, and I've done everything I could to raise the alarm and to try to tell people. And, you know, it's been, it's been a little frustrating. But one of the things I'm doing here now in, in, uh, in Moscow and in Russia is to heal to have fun again, to laugh again. Like Ben and I were talking earlier, Ben Bear, <laughs> when he was here with the guys, like I, I, I love men. I grew up with all brothers, like three brothers. I had, I've also had really loving relationships and, and wonderful relationships. And so I don't have a bias against that, um, you know, against intimacy with men or anything like that. I had, I had no hangups, nothing. So it was really traumatizing to have to be dragged the way I was for the last couple of years, almost as much as the rape itself when it happened. Um, because, because you want, because there shouldn't be any shame around it. I didn't do anything wrong. I was handing him his fucking gym bag. Like <laughs> I was doing my job. I was told to go give him his gym bag. And that's what I did. And he pushed me up against the wall and he raped me. And like, like that's like, that's crazy. And it was during the day in a corridor. And, you know, I couldn't even believe it was happening. And then afterwards, I was so stunned. You know, I, I, I couldn't believe. So then when I came forward in 2019, there were seven other women. And one of those women was a young politician. And you, and you don't hear of her anymore. He destroyed her. The media destroyed her in 2019. And that's Lucy Flores. What is her name? Lucy Flores. Yeah, and, and that's what I mean. You see, it, it's always destroying women. It's unbelievable how we are the victims in situations like this and we are still the ones 
not being able to have our voices heard, supported, acknowledged. It's very okay. Speaking of the media, I'm really starting to get pissed off at the fucking media. This is the same motherfuckers that have been a. We're not going to do that on a recorded space. Um, Guta, did you want to finish yeah. and then we'll move no, on? No, I, I finish. I just, I just find appalling, you know, that in every situation, women is always the weakest link. And how there are men that still think they have the right to do this, either, you know, for power, uh or just or sex harassment or everything that it involves in these relationships and and it's always so up actually upsetting to hear and the only thing is to to be solidary with Tara and other women. I was in another conversation two days ago with uh, Carolina Larieta. And uh, she's been fighting for two years, uh, 20 years, to try to prove that the attack in Beirut was an inside thing and that Sergio was killed by inside job because of his postures. And she is being trashed by the UN and the system. So that's where it occurred to me to ask Tara as well about her situation and uh, and how appalling this all is. Well, thank you. Go, go ahead, Lancer. Welcome to the space. Uh, hey, hey, Tara. I'm a big, big fan of yours. I want to just acknowledge you for your bravery of coming out, uh, you know, coming out with all of these just very disturbing facts about Biden. And um, I remember, I think the first time I ever saw it, was it, were you on Tucker? I think you were on Tucker or um, I don't know. I saw you saw yeah. some, some, some show and I was just like, this woman is telling truth. And I just want to acknowledge you for that. Cause I know I can't even imagine how hard it is. And the previous woman who was talking, yes, you know, they, you know, but also it really depends on who the perpetrator is. If the perpetrator is someone like Biden, then they protect him at all costs. And I can't even imagine what you went through with all of this, with the media. And, you know, you try to get mentally prepared for it all, but, you know, you really can't. You know, it's like, um, you know, so I just had a couple of questions. Uh, well, first, my comment. I have a question. Yeah. It is yeah. what? Well, never mind. What? Okay. Um, yeah. So when you brought up like the whole propaganda thing, like the United States, yeah, I remember when I visited Cuba probably about a little over 20 years ago. And I remember like being really nervous going, da, 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 da. This was before us people could visit. And then I got there, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been like totally propagandized or whatever. <laughs> it was like the US government has been lying to us about Cuba. You know, it was just like, you know, I remember just walking around there and I actually I loved it so much. I went back like a month later and I was just like, oh my gosh, I really bought into all of this stuff. I've been hearing about Cuba my whole life. This is like an amazing country with amazing people. And I just really, really 
was just it was just crazy. And then also, you know, that brings me to the Ukraine propaganda that we've been hearing nonstop here in the United States, which I never, never bought into. And I think the only question is, are you able to visit the U.S. ever again? I didn't know what the status was on that. That was really my only question. I, I didn't I'll, know. I'll let Rada answer. Oh, OK. OK. But yeah, congrats on, on you know, you. taking care of yourself and you do have tons of support here in the U.S. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, Rada, I'll let you answer the question about the U.S. I offer, she's not on the speaker's panel, but I offered her the mic. Okay. She wants to come. And then while we wait for her, you want to go fed up with the media? Okay. Okay. <laughs> fed up, fed up with media? I don't guess the name is. Yep. <laughs> Uh, thank you. Um, yeah, you know, I just had a, a quick comment and a question. You know, one, you know, Tara, I've followed your stuff for a long time, and it's, it, you know, I applaud your bravery <laughs> dealing with these people because it's, you know, we know these are destructive, dangerous people, and, uh, you know, I applaud you standing up <laughs> the way you have. Um, my question is, um, now with you over there, because another part of the narrative they've been pushing forward that I've kind of followed, because I, I happen to be Eastern Orthodox Christian, same different diocese, but same religion as you know Putin and the you know, Russian Orthodox Church. And every time I bring that up, one, what they're doing to the poor Orthodox priest in Ukraine, but you know, when I bring up about Russia, there's this narrative that, oh, well, Putin's not really that religious, and he just kind of puts that out there, and then they start saying the Russian people aren't very religious, which is not what I'm hearing from Russian Orthodox people I know here, and I was just wondering what you've seen over there as far as how how much the religion is built into the culture, you know, how, you know, how much that is affecting on the day-in-day -day life, and, and how involved the people are over there, because because I bring up all the time how, how a lot of the Russian people are really connected to Putin because he freed them up to practice again from the communists. So I was just wondering from your perspective what you've seen on that, kind of a little different angle. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I love listening to the bells of the Orthodox Church. I've been now to, to um, and, and I, you know, I, I come from Catholic background, so um, it's a comforting uh to hear the bells of the church. I love that. Um, and to see these beautiful, um, to see people that are uh, very devoted to it. And yeah, I've noticed that there is a, uh, this does have a feeling of being um, a, a nation that, that does embrace different religions. There's of course the Orthodox Christian, there's also Catholics, there's also, you know, Muslim, there's also, you know, it's, and, and, but everyone just sort of coexists. There's no tension um, so you'll see a mosque, you'll see an Orthodox church, you see whatever, but like, it's, it's very, um, free flowing in that way. I think, you know, I was discussing this. It's so interesting. You brought it up because I was discussing this with my daughter. I was trying to explain to her how like racism, right? Like you, you see, um, she, she had the same stereotype that, oh, Russia just has white people. No, it doesn't. It has people from all different, um, cultures and backgrounds it's a very diverse country and i've discovered that now that i'm now i'm going to be going to vladivostok which is in the far east and i'll see even you know even different you know types of uh population and and culture and and things in that city but but one thing i said to her is that you don't um see uh the racism the same way like you do in the u.s and then you forget as an american that 
you know, America is based, it's, uh, you know, and sadly, it's just based on blood. I mean, you know, you have the Native Americans that were slaughtered and you have the, the, the legacy of, of slavery. It was built on slavery. And Russia does not have that. Russia does not have that background. It's a thousand year old, very rich history, but it doesn't have that. And um, so there's not a systemic racism. Um, it's, it's very uh, welcoming. That's what I notice so far thus far it's very interesting and also about women you know and men there's not like you have to remember um in the soviet union the women had the right to vote before american women if i have the dates correct and uh there was also a, a lot of solidarity with women working um and being treated as equals but yet there's um still you know a very much it's a very matriarch country it's matriarch you know they call it mother russia for a reason there is a definite a feeling that like the babushka <laughs> the grandmother of the mother um the extended family is is you know is is really the heart and soul of the family and so there's respect there and on like international women's day women get flowers and get treated really nicely and acknowledged um and it's just it's just different i mean i really i love it but very different from the U.S. In, in those ways, but in a good way, in my opinion. I, I'm enjoying that, that aspect. Well, thank you so much for that. That, that makes, makes sense. It's kind of some of the things I've heard from, from folks over, over here that are you know, from Russia, because um, like I said, I don't go to a Russian Orthodox church, but we have a local one, and I know people that used to go to that church there in mine, so, and I've talked to them pretty extensively, and that sounds very similar to what they they've said so thank you for that thank you pete if you would like to go next yeah uh, thank you thank you for letting me speak again um i have i have i have a, a, a one or two more questions uh, for for tara um one of the things was you know um <laughs> I read, I read today, you know, or yesterday, I read, you know, that uh, um, suddenly Tucker Carlson, you know, is going to interview a guy who had sex with, you know, with with with, with Obama, you know, some in 1990 or 1999 or this or that. I mean, I mean, he went from 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 being a, a Fox News kind of propagandist, you know, to kind of. A, a liberated kind of journalist, and now he goes back to that. You know, um, what, what, what do you what do you make of that uh, in in this whole kind of because we 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 are actually entering in a kind of a, a sphere, you know, where 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 nothing is is the truth anymore. So so, what is your take on that? My take is this: I, I'm more appalled. I don't care what Obama did or does with his private life with consensual sex i don't i don't give a shit like and i don't think most people do i care about the fact he committed war crimes i care about the fact that he used more drones than any other president that's what i care about i care about that why isn't that the scandal why isn't that getting underneath american citizen skin that that drones were used to kill civilians and that his administration um you know was responsible for many war crimes 
No, no, perfect answer. I mean, thank you for that, Tara. I mean, uh, I mean, he got he got he got the the Nobel Peace Prize, you know, like uh, two or three months into his presidency, and he hadn't done anything yet, you know. So I mean, that was kind of a, that was kind of a, a world record, if you ask me. Uh, but okay, uh, then I have uh, I have uh, I have kind of uh, um, one more uh, one more um, no two more questions actually. Um, so, so you kind of left, you know, um, the United States, you know, for for for, for asylum in in Russia, this and that. Um, do, do you in any way fear for your family or friends that you, that you left behind, or, or 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 how does that go? Because I mean, I have not been in that situation, and I I hope I will never be in that situation. But but are you kind of fearing fearing, you know, for for the people that you left behind? Yes or no? Well, I want to be careful how I answer this because um, I've had a lot of difficulties um, with uh, people that I care about being targeted. Yeah. So what I would say is it's a concern, um, but that I'm handling it and that I will, you know, my family is uh, strong and um, we will get through this and, uh, you know, they can try all they want. Um, I'm, you know, going to stay safe and, and, and I'm here in Russia and it, you know, that's what all I can do. Um, and I'll do the best to protect my family from here, but that's all I can do. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a ongoing challenge to say the least. Okay, and then one last thing that I wanted to say because this was brought up, you know, very early uh, in 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 the space. You know, uh, you were talking, you know, about uh, about uh, a bone face. You know, the guy uh, Kent uh, Kent McLellan or whatever he's called. You know, um, I mean, um, I had the 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 fortune, or I will call it the misfortune, you know, of having him in a space. You know, uh, one year ago, actually. Uh, and the, the story that he told back then, you know, because he was actually booted from the original space, you know, and then a, a, a second a secondary space was uh, opened up, you know, in which, you know, he kind of spilled the beans, uh, which was kind of very, very disturbing, you know, I mean, uh, um, because, I mean, the, the things that he told uh, uh, at that time, I mean, at first, I thought at, at first, you know, you know, most of the people, you know, in, in that space, you know, in the original space where he got booted from, you know, thought that it was uh, it was a hoax and this and that you know but there was there was one guy there um uh, benjamin i don't know if dd dd probably knows benjamin um uh, and 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 he says you know prove that you are that you are this guy so so uh, post a tweet and say shalom i mean that's probably one of the worst things you know that boneface can can do and he did that he posted a tweet in which he says shalom you know so um, so basically I, I, it's not you benjamin i mean i don't want to confuse you with anybody else you know but uh, um, but but uh, he did that you know so we, we we did a space you know and and what he did there and i think i think there i think that actually ben recorded this space um, so 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 i mean the, the the things that we kind of heard in there you know was kind of haunting Haunting and 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 the actually it, it it also sounded a little bit of of collaboration because we were talking you know about the Azov style this and that you know they got rescued from Azov style you know by, by the CIA and and so it's kind of a really kind of weird friggin thing you know so so I kind of I kind of hope we get to get and, and now we're seeing this guy you know suddenly you know appearing you know on the street somewhere with I I, I don't even know what these guys are called because there are so many of them. Um, so, so it's it's really it's it's really it's really it's it's really distressing. Um, the the only thing that I can say, and and because I, 
it, it, it became completely censored here um, in, in Europe. Um, you, you have the, the, the journalist called Mariana Van Zeller, and she has made this uh, super duper kind of series, which is called Trafficked. And if you look at uh, at episode six, six of the set uh, of the second season, uh, which was due to be aired here in Europe, you know, in February 2022. I mean, just just, you know, uh, I mean, after the SMO started, you know, and it it got banned. I mean, the, this this episode got banned. And, and this this episode, you know, episode six of, of the second season was about white supremacy. And that was about, you know, how, how you know, all these white supremacists, you know, uh, guys from the Atomwaffen Division in America, you know, go to train on shooting fucking civilians in the Donbass. And how these guys, you know, are proud of it and this and blah, 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 blah. So, I mean, uh, I think I think you can get it on ABC. Uh, um, you can still uh, look it up, you know, if you're in America, because, I mean, it, it's been completely uh, scraped away, you know, from from. From, from everywhere else, you know, but try to look for traffic, you know, uh, episode six, you know, of the second season, and then you will see what what kind of real what what kind of real shit is going on in in uh, in in Ukraine. And with, with that, you know, thank you, Tara, for for your for your um, uh, honesty and, and openness, you know, and I, I hope you I hope you find peace uh, in in Russia or wherever, you know. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hi, Cheryl. How are you? Tara, it's been way too long. No, I'm good. <laughs> How are you? Hi. Tara, we have to stop talking so much. My God. No, I think it was a couple of days ago. Um, I guess you already talked about um, the um, bone-faced issue. So, Tara, will you give Laura um, a room in your home? Because I'm, I'm really worried about her. I mean, what she's uncovering is unbelievable. And do you think Putin will weigh in on any level on that? I mean, that to me... That's 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 like you. You guys are both badasses. I don't know if you like each other or not. I can't keep <laughs> up. But I'm just saying, you, you've been in her shoes exposing the truth and how dangerous it is. And my God. So, um, I mean, have you... I don't even know if you talked to her. I mean, that's kind of a dumb question. I, I, I actually reached out to her. Um, oh, yay. You know, okay. So, because so, I was interested in knowing what was going on. And, uh, yeah, she's already getting threats, that's for sure. I mean, it's that's scary stuff. Um, and you know, definitely safety planning is needed for, for investing. I'm not an investigative journalist. She is. Um, and she did expose that, um, some things and that other people have exposed. So she, I, I, hopefully like someone had said earlier, I think Tyler had mentioned, hopefully that they will collaborate all their research together. Um, cause there's a lot of pieces to bring, um, with it. Um, but yeah, I believe it's going to break through the um, to the mainstream media here one way or another. As far as like Russia's response to it, I, I don't know, um, of course. Um, and we'll see if the Kremlin releases a statement or just kind of let's see what happens. I don't know. I don't even know if they're aware of the because it's not in any mainstream reporting right, as of yet. So perhaps well, it I, will be. I was just curious yeah. just because, yeah, right now some of the media is just treating it as a, you know, kind of a LARP and a conspiracy or whatever, but um, you know, should should it be true, which I personally think it is, I put nothing against our government being capable of doing, that then it could turn, like, wouldn't that be in, like an international situation where the yeah, that would actively um, mm -hmm. in, in complicit in an army, I mean a war, so that's all. But thank you. Um, it was so good to talk to you again. And I will look forward to our Thanksgiving, seeing your Thanksgiving 
um, <laughs> there you go. here the on Twitter. The FaceTime Thanksgiving. The FaceTime Thanksgiving. Okay, there thank you, you honey. It. And Didi, hi, honey. I'm sorry. I didn't say hi to you. Maybe I can jump in real quick, Tyler, before you go, and just because I'm very close uh, with a number of prominent investigative journalists, and I can say that as a general rule, investigative journalists are very conscientious of their own safety and adapt behaviors to ensure that. Yes, that's all I want to say. That, thank you, Benjamin. That's good to know because I, I really, you know, I was, I think we were all worried about Tara at first, and um, now we know she's safe. Now I'm worried about Laura. So thank you for for saying that because we know how diabolical um, the deep state is here. So thank you, Benjamin. Yeah. So Cheryl, I think uh, watch our our pages here, um, Didi's page. Uh, we've we've got George Eliason, who's been uh, instrumental in bringing a lot of this information out long ago. Um, and you're going to find that there's a fair bit more to this story than what you've seen so far. Um, and that was what Tara was alluding to. Uh, I, I think you're going to also find um, that what we're going to see is is that it's not just uh, foreign interference. It is a backhanded deal through the Democratic Party, um, through ties in lettered agencies so um, it's, it's a level of corruption that I don't think any, anybody was expecting to see. Uh, I know I wasn't surprised, but, but uh, it was definitely um, distressing when I first found out about it. And it let me, at that point in time, going back three years ago now, um, it, it really made me feel like I really need to look at the world in a different way because it doesn't run the way I thought. Thanks. I will definitely keep up with the space. Yeah, Cheryl, you're going to probably be like super. But Dee Dee, you laugh at me because I, I've told you, you guys, I've told Dee Dee a number of times. I've, I've been on her some of her spaces and it, they're just over my head. I'm just really not that smart. So I sit there trying to figure out what they're talking about. So <laughs> anyway, this I'm on top of. So I'm ready. <laughs> Good, because we need you, Cheryl. I think it's Lacey. Hi, Lacey. Welcome. Hi, everybody. Um, I also agree. I want to make a comment in regards to Laura. I am very, very worried about her. I'm always constantly checking her page. I have to copy and paste, you know, because I was telling a few people about what was going on. That's also heavily into what's going on with our government. And it sucks because you can't share anything off of Twitter onto Facebook. Uh, it won't accept any of the links. So, it's like I always have to screenshot everything just to get the word out. But um, with that being said, my question said, Tara, um, I've said since the very beginning of this horror deal between Ukraine and Russia that uh, Putin was the good guy, that he's not the bad guy in this. I've also watched several things, uh, video clips. Uh, I think he was at a funeral and... He did the side of the cross, which told me he's a Christian man and so forth. What I wanted to ask you now that you're in Russia, um, do you see the same uh, energetic um, spirit towards Putin with the people like we do Trump? Because there are a lot of similarities um, between Trump and Putin as far as how they care about their country. And... Um, 
I guess you know, with you being there, I was I was curious if if I'm right on my on my antics or whatever. Thanks. Oh sure. Hi. It's it was good to hear from you. And um yeah, I my impression is that he's very popular here. Um, you know, I've been in a few of the cities, but again, I've not been here that long. I've only been here for going on five months, so that's not a very long time. But I do know statistically, um, that he's got an eighty five to ninety percent approval rating. Um even higher now lately. Um, and that's, and the Russian economy is very strong and sanctions are not having an impact on, um, the Russian economy that I can see. Um, I know that there's different varying reports on that, but, um, I know that they're trying to make sure that inflation doesn't happen. And so far the cost of living here is very reasonable much more reasonable than the U.S. However, Europe is really suffering. And, you know, I'm not an expert in the Russian economy, so I don't want to go too far deep and then misspeak. But what I can say is that um, from what I'm observing, yes, Western, some Western companies have pulled out, but there's plenty of other choices here. And when you walk through a grocery store, it's, it's amazing the choices on the shelves. And actually, I would say they have more choices than we do in the U.S., um, from when I was just there um, because things are, we were having shortages and like, if you lived in a rural area, like I lived in at one point, Oregon, as well as Washington, there were things like there were times you would walk into a store and they wouldn't have certain items like everyday items, like the shelves were empty oh. and um, there's been a lot of supply issues and supply problems in the U S here. Oh. There's none. Um, everything seems pretty good. And I was down in near um, Minerale, which is um, smaller, more rural areas. And, you know, the stores were full there. People were, were doing well. So it wasn't like a wealthy city like Moscow. It was, you know, outside. So what I would have to say is, and I'm, I'm doing a comparison to the U.S. The U.S. looks right now a little more dire and a little more desperate. And I know that the inflation is the highest it's been in 40 years in the U.S., and um, we have the highest ch child poverty rate that we've had in history. And I mentioned earlier that we have 600,000 people in the U.S. that are homeless. Here in Moscow, 80 to 90 percent of the residents own their own homes and sometimes even dashas. So and they own them outright. So you have young people that own their own homes. And it's, it's very doable to buy a home here, um, to buy an apartment or a condo or to buy a house or a cottage and to buy a dasha, which is a vacation home. Ooh. So it's, it's a very different world. Yeah. It's going to get a little bit worse for us. As you know, um, I live in Michigan and very close to Detroit. And I know there's, <clears throat> and this will also affect me work-wise, you know, the big three is planning on striking. So, which is going to do a huge trickle down effect for the other sister companies that are out there that deal with Ford parts or parts alone. So um, I'm pretty worried, you know, and hopefully they can, hopefully they won't strike for too long, you know, and uh, I think we're just winging it right now until we get this thing under control. Well, I, I hope, I hope that you're, uh, I hope things do improve. Um, but right now, I, I think it's it's really important for the working class to realize that um, the administration doesn't doesn't care, and to move on, 
and to use, you know, whatever means necessary to try to change the, the, you know, the politicians that are there. I mean, you have like the geriatric club right now. It's like, um, you know, Congress looks like a retirement home. Some of, you know, what's amazing. Most of the people that I see there, I saw when I was 28 years old, they're still there. I can't believe it. And that was not the intention, by the way, of the constitution. In the constitution, it was, um, they wanted people to serve and do their public service and then go back to their farms and go back to their businesses. That was, that's the American constitution. And that has not happened. Now it's like, you know, literally a nursing home. Like we're, how many times are we going to watch Mitch McConnell have a mini stroke on camera before he's asked to step down? I don't know. It's pathetic. Hey, Tara, I actually have a quick question and I kind of know the answer, but I, I, you know, because I spent some time in Moscow, but for the sake of the audience, you know, you see all these videos these days of this like rampant crime, especially in cities like California, stores are getting looted. People are just walking in casually and taking what they want. Now I'm hoping you can speak a little bit on the, you know, is there a lot of crime in Moscow? No. There's not that I've seen. Um, and I've, I've been here now, like I said, almost, you know, we're going on five months, I guess, um, four months going on five. And uh, no, uh, there's not. And I've been kind of watching. Um, I feel really safe walking at night. I've walked around at one in the morning before um, by myself. I've felt, okay, things are well lit. People are out because, and the weather's warm, of course. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very different. I mean, I mean, sure, you know, like other places, like other cities that there's petty theft or whatever, but um, I, I don't feel like I have to hold on to my purse. One time I dropped my wallet and someone ran behind me and gave it to me. I didn't even realize I dropped it. So, you know, I mean, that's, that's, you know, that can happen also in the United States, but it happened here while I was here. So it was really nice. Um, unfortunately in the U S uh, you're right, Ben, the, the crime is awful right now in San Francisco. If you pull up to a red light, there's a chance you could be carjacked at gunpoint. Um, you know, that's been happening a lot. And my sister-in-law's family actually had to abandon. Um, they, they had a store right downtown in one of the higher ends. They have a higher end camera store. It got robbed so much and attacked and the police just don't come and they don't protect. And they even had security, but, um, it, it was so many times that they just, they had to close it down and move it. And there was, there was people defecating outside and, you know, people, clients couldn't come to the business. It was just ridiculous. And um, you're seeing this in all the cities. Like, I don't recognize San Francisco. Like, I used to love that city. It's, it's, it's unrecognizable. It's, um, and it's tragic. And, you know, the people that are homeless um, are not just drug, you know, using drugs, which is, which is, you know, an epidemic right now in the U.S., but it's also families and working class that cannot afford housing. Um, or that are homeless. So you see a lot of elderly people or disabled. It's really, it's, it's heartbreaking. And I did what I could when I lived there. I really did. And, you know, and then, uh, but it's not improved at all. But I know many of us that have lived in the United States have done what we could to help with food banks, to do whatever. Um, and, and by the way, you know, statistically, um, there are more middle-class families in food bank lines trying to get, you know, food 
because food is on average 20% higher. Now, I'll probably get in trouble for saying all that and bringing up these statistics because in a USA Today article recently, a a former CIA commented about me talking about inflation that it made him viscerally angry. Um, So apparently I'm not allowed to speak about inflation, according to the CIA. So I'll stop there. (laughs) Yep, please stop. Okay, we love the CIA. This is our disclaimer. We love the CIA. We support the CIA. Don't bother us. We're your friends. We love you. We love the FBI, too. We love the IRS. We love Mossad. All right. Um, I'm Madeline or Madeline. I'm sorry. Can I, I'm sorry. Can I, have, I have just one quick follow-up question to Tara. Um, do you see a lot of... I, I, live, I live in LA, so I see a lot of homeless. I see a lot of drug addicts. I see a lot of needles um, everywhere I go. Do you see this on the street of Moscow or any other cities that you have visited? Or is it pretty clean? And you don't see drug addicts, you don't see homeless encampments, and and nothing what we've seen in the United States. It's it's extremely clean. Um, the streets are very clean. I, and I see in Moscow, I have I've seen, um, like I said, I've been here several months. I've seen I think one drunk like in a park, and then he was he went away. <laughs> so it was like, uh, but other than that, um, there was. Yeah, there's uh, no, I don't see any drug activities. In fact, one thing that I thought was really sweet, it just came to my head, you know, um, in Gorky Park, I was taking a walk and I saw some teenagers gathering up in a gazebo. And I immediately kind of thought, oh, I wonder what they're up to because they were, you know, 15, 16. And, you know, in the US, when you see a, a group of teenagers, sometimes in the street in the city, they're doing whatever, they're doing different things. Here in this gazebo in Gorky Park, they were playing classical music. And then talking about it. And I was like, oh, my God, I felt like I went back in time or something or like there was just this innocence and just this, you know, and I don't know. It was just it was a beautiful thing. Um, I just noticed there's a lot of emphasis on activities for young people, on um, family and um, that innocence that when you're walking in the streets and, you know, in the United States on, in cities, it's, it's a very, you know, you don't have that. 